Dear Lord baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. Dear Lord baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And dear tiny infant Jesus, we... Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist pawing He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the damn grace. Hi. As we approach the spiritual on-ramp to Christmas, I have a question for you. Do you wrestle more with the godness of Jesus or with his humanity? I love the clip we just saw from Talladega Nights as NASCAR legend Ricky Bobby says grace. Not that I recommend using his example or theology, but I think it portrays the confusion some people have with Jesus at Christmas or at any time really. So what about you? Do you feel closer Safer with a tiny baby Jesus in his golden fleece diapers? Or do you identify more with the suffering, bleeding, crucified man, Jesus? Which one is more true for you? We should think carefully before we answer because Jesus is no longer either of these things. What we can say is Jesus is still with us. He is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus himself said he would be with us until the end of the age. So he's still with us. He is present, which leads us to today's portrait, the present Jesus. Last time, Marcy spoke of the cosmic Christ, about the godness of Jesus. Well, today I will talk about his humanity. Let's read the first chapter of John's Gospel, some verses from 1 to 14, reading from the Message Version. The Word was first, the Word present to God, God present to the Word. The Word was God, in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through Him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without Him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. He was in the world. The world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. Jesus of Nazareth was truly and fully human. It was plain enough to those who saw and heard and touched him and shared life with him. No one questioned his humanity during his ministry. What was not apparent at first, but revealed in his life and resurrection, was he was also God. It wasn't long after his ascension to heaven 
but questions came about his humanity. His closest disciples, who knew his humanity full well, worshipped him as God. But the next generation of Christians, who hadn't seen Jesus, started from a different place. They began with him as God and tended to struggle with the fullness of his humanness. This led to many heresies in the early church, their incorrect opinions or beliefs about the faith. Things like he didn't die and rise but fainted and revived, or that he was a ghost, and there are others. It's interesting to me that over the centuries, Jesus' opponents have rejected his deity, that is, his godness. Yet many Christians have been slow to accept his incarnation, that is, his humanness. These same ancient doubts about his divinity and humanity have come down to us today, even among those who call themselves Christ followers. For most non-believers, his humanity is plain enough in history. The question for their secular minds is, in what sense he can ever be divine? But we believers have our own questions as well. Even those quick to confess him as Lord and God wrestle with the extent of his incarnation. Yet the Apostle John is clear. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Perhaps to help reset our thinking, we should ask ourselves, have we lost our wonder at the full humanity, the glory of Christ? In defending his deity to the world, have we overlooked how human, how shockingly human, God himself became in Jesus of Nazareth? Christmas is an opportunity for us to know and to reconcile the uncomfortable and challenging aspects of what it means that our Lord is fully human. Being fully human means a fully human body, mind, heart, and will. So let's look at these four things. First, his human body. The New Testament is clear enough that Jesus had a human body. He was born, it says in Luke 2. He grew. He got tired. He got thirsty and hungry. He bled and died. And he had a real human body after his resurrection. Jesus said, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. Let's look at his human heart. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus clearly displays human emotions. In Matthew 8, it says, When Jesus heard the centurion's words of faith, he marveled. In Matthew 26, it reports Jesus saying, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And in John 11, Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled and weeps. And Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears in the letter to the Hebrews. As theologian John Calvin once said, Christ put on our feelings along with our flesh. Well, thirdly, to his human mind. 
Jesus had a human mind. As mortal creatures, we simply cannot fathom what it would be like for one person to have both a human mind and a divine mind. But two key Bible texts press us towards this mind-boggling truth. In Luke 2, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. And in Mark 13, it says, Concerning that day or that hour, nobody knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The second verse, of course, is striking for those of us who have a high view of Christ. It's all the more amazing because it comes from the mouth of Christ himself. The provocative question is, if Jesus is truly God and God knows everything, how can Jesus not know when his own second coming will be? The provocative answer is, in addition to being fully divine, Jesus was fully human. He has both an infinite divine mind and a finite human mind. So he can be said not to know things because he is genuinely human and finite and human minds are not omniscient or all-knowing. And he can be said to know all things because he is divine and infinite in his knowledge. This is a paradox and a mystery of faith. Even so, the scriptures affirm that Jesus both knows all things as God and doesn't know all things as man. In the unique person of Christ, this is not a contradiction, but a peculiarity of being God-man. Well, finally, there's the matter of his human will. Perhaps the trickiest part of all, that not only has he a divine will, but Jesus also has a human will. Again, the tracks are laid for us by two key texts in the scripture. In John 6, it says, I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in Matthew 26, Jesus prays to the Father, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus has an infinite divine will. That is the will of his Father. There is one will in God. And as man, he has a finite human will that, while being an authentic human will, is perfectly in sync with and submissive to the divine will of his Father. It's a great mystery beyond our experience and understanding and beyond what we will ever know as mere humans. But where it leads for those of us who call him Lord is not ultimately to confusion, but to worship. Jesus is one truly spectacular person. He is fully God and he is fully man. And would we want to fix our worship on one who was not this utterly unique? Jesus is like us in every respect, human body, heart, mind and will, except he never sinned. How amazing that the divine Son of God would not just take part of our humanity that first Christmas, but all of it, and then take all that humanity all the way to the cross for us. Today's picture portrait is one we've shown you before, but looking through the lens of Jesus' humanity, reveals a different meaning. 
Jesus is on earth, fully human, fully God, looking up at a starry sky. And I wonder if he's thinking, so that's what it looks like from down here. It makes this worth it. So why does all this matter? Jesus took a human body to save our bodies. He took a human mind to save our minds. He took human emotions so he could rescue our hearts. And he took human will so he could save our broken and wandering ways. As author Max Licardo writes, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. He became man in full so that he might save us in full. He took human form perfectly to show us what humans perfectly submitted to God can be. He is God in human flesh, God incarnate. He is our example so we too can incarnate godliness, grace, forgiveness, hope and love. He is Emmanuel. And wherever we go, whatever we experience, Jesus is always present, always with us.